Let's ask God to help us understand his word. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank and praise you for giving us your word. We pray now that you'll speak to us to help us understand how we can be in your presence now and forever. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, some people seem to think that they can hang around with God, no problems. They, they think they can have God dwell with them. Even if they're not very religious, people seem to think this. They, they assume they can be in God's presence. They assume that God will, God will listen to their prayers. They think that they can come near to God as they are and that God's okay with that. They think they can come near to God on their own without any help. They think God accepts them now and they think he'll accept them in heaven. Some people think that. But in our world today, the vast majority of people don't think that. In our world today, the vast majority of people, they think they need a priest to help them approach God. They think they need some kind of person a bit holier than them, a bit closer to God than they are, to come near to God on their behalf, to give them like an introduction to God or something, like, a, like, like sort of a go-between or something like that between them and God. People, people think they need priests. And there are plenty of people out there who claim to do the job, who claim to be priests. You see it in primitive tribes everywhere. Each tribe has its witch doctor. The person who claims some special contact with the deity, who says, you've got to come to the deity through him. You see it in the world's major religions. You can find Buddhist priests. You can find Shinto priests. You can find Hindu priests. They also claim to be able to help people to get in touch with divinity, however they perceive that. Or you see it in some parts of Christianity. In the Roman Catholic Church, in the High Anglican or Lutheran churches, some people claim to be priests. Uh, they say they offer sacrifices. Uh, they say that uh, in doing this stuff here, they're off offering a sacrifice of Jesus, the sacrifice of the Mass, so that sinners can be forgiven and come into the presence of God through their priestly ministry. Or you look at some of the televangelists. They're similar. They claim to have a special access to God and if you send in your credit card details, they'll put in a good word for you. Send you a blessed handkerchief or some such thing. Uh, all these people, they claim to be qualified as priests. They claim to have a special intimacy with God. And they say, we need them to help, to help us have access to God. So do we need them? Do we need them? Do we need a priest? Do we need someone to help us, to enable us to be in God's presence. And if we do, which priest do we need? There's such a smorgasbord to choose from. Who is truly qualified to be our priest? What, 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 what would a priest need to do? As we saw last week in our studies in the book of Exodus, God was preparing to come and, and dwell with Israel. To, to live with them in a special way. Uh, God asked Israel to build a special tent, the tabernacle, with special furniture. And they had to follow all the right procedures. The furniture had to be just right. Well, now in Exodus 28 and 29, God commands Israel to set apart one family, Aaron and his family, as priests. He tells Israel what clothes they have to wear, clothes that are made of the same stuff as the tabernacle itself, and he tells them, how it is that they are to set them apart as priests. Have a look with me. Ch Exodus chapter 28 and verse 1. Exodus chapter 28 and verse 1. 
Have Aaron, your brother, brought to you from among the Israelites, with his sons Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, so that they may serve me as priests. Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honour. Tell all the skilled men to whom I've given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration, so that he may serve me as a priest. Now, these are the garments they are to make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban and a sash. They're to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons so that they may serve me as priests. Make them use the same stuff as in the tabernacle, gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen. And then God sets out in uh, greater detail about the clothes that the priests are to wear. First, there's an ephod. That's the thing they had to wear over their chest and it's tied over the shoulders and around the waist. Here's a picture that Warren found for me. Um, a bit of technological help I've had this week. So you can see that sort of uh, there's the, the square thing, that's the breast piece we'll look at in a minute. Under that is a gold thing that goes over his shoulders and down tied at the, tied at the road. That's the ephod there. Okay, so there's the ephod. And the most important thing about that ephod is you can see right up on the shoulders there, you can't see it all that clearly, but right up on the shoulders, we'll read about it in a second, uh, there are two stones that go into the shoulder pieces. Thanks, uh, Steve. And they are made of onyx. Onyx precious stone and, the, the, and, and on those stones the names of the 12 tribes of Israel are engraved and the reasons given in the text it says that they're a memorial the priest as he goes into the presence of God he carries a memorial of Israel on his shoulders in other words he's acting well, he's acting as a kind of representative isn't he he's bringing Israel to God representing Israel before God bearing their memory upon his shoulders Pick it up in verse 9, chapter 28 and verse 9. It's talking about the ephod. It says, Take two onyx stones and engrave on them the, the names of the sons of Israel in the order of their birth, six names on one stone, the remaining six on the other. Engrave the names of the sons of Israel on the two stones, the way a gem cutter engraves a seal. Then mount the stones in gold filigree settings, kind of lacy settings, and fasten them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod, here, as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. Aaron is to bear the names on his shoulders as a memorial before the Lord. See what he's doing? As he comes into God's presence, he's bearing Israel with him, representing Israel. Next piece of clothing. Next piece of clothing is, is a breast piece to be worn over the ephod. It looks something like this. Thanks, Steve. If we could have another look at it, uh, please. Oh, thank you. <clears throat> what do I press? <laughs> really fancy isn't it? Is it made of paper? Thank you. Okay. There. Oh look at that. Isn't that exciting? Okay so that thing there is the breast piece. Square thing and notice all the uh, gemstones. If you can count them. Twelve of them. Twelve of them. So uh, the important thing about this breast piece is again it's used for, um, for representing Israel hence the twelve stones. But this one has also got inside that's actually folded that thing and inside it you've got uh, two stones Perhaps stones, we actually don't know what they are. We have two things called the Urim and the Thummim. Okay? Now, what would happen is, something like this, thanks Steve, Israel would ask God a question. God, shall we go into battle against the Philistines? Okay? And by means of the Urim and the Thummim, God would answer yes or no. I don't know exactly how. Maybe the Urim meant yes and the Thummim meant no. Maybe the other way around, I don't know. Maybe they were used as lots, I don't know, juggle them and see which lands or something like that. Maybe one of them lit up, we don't really know. But what we do know is that the Urim and the Thummim gave God's answer for Israel's decision. Okay, so now we've got two functions of the priest. Uh, they represent Israel to God. 
bearing Israel on their shoulders and over their heart, and they reveal God's will back to Israel. Okay, look with me, verse 29. Verse 29. Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. Also, put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastpiece so that they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus, Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. Okay, you got that? This intermediary role, representing Israel to God, bringing God's decisions to Israel. Our next items of clothing are the robe, the turban with its plate, the tunic and the undergarments. Thanks, Steve. If we can have another look. Um, so you've got a, there it is. A, t- uh, a turban up there. He's got a special square of kind of a gold plate on his forehead that says holy to the Lord. Uh, he's got his tunic, which is the, sorry, the robe is the blue thing. The tunic is the stuff underneath and the undergarments. They don't thankfully give you the picture. Um, so uh, that's all the other stuff. Thanks, Steve. The text doesn't really tell us the significance of these clothes, except way back in verse 2, you may remember it said they were to give dignity and honour to the priests. But whatever the exact significance, God's very clear that Israel have to make the clothes exactly the way he says. No license for the fashion designers here or anything like that. No, you know, add your own imaginative, uh, you know, something else to it, all right? It's exactly the way God says, because again, it's like we saw last week, these priests are going to be in the tabernacle. They're going to be in the very presence of God. And if you're in the presence of God, you don't muck around doing things your way. If you're in the presence of God, you do things God's way or else. Let me give you just one example, verse 42. Verse 42, talking about the undies. Make linen undergarments as a covering for the body, reaching from the waist to the thigh. Aaron and his sons must wear them whenever they enter the tent of meeting or approach the altar to minister in the holy place so that they will not incur guilt and die. I know perhaps your mum always wanted you to wear undies. This is a much stronger reason, isn't it? Wear them or die, okay? All right, now they've got something to wear. Uh, we're ready to set the priests apart for their role. Okay, some of you may have seen my ordination service. Let's, let's do a bit of a comparison here. So chapter 29, God sets down the proper procedure if you want to ordain a priest, if you want to consecrate a priest. What you have to do is kill three animals. Uh, first, there's a bull. The priests, what they do is they lay their hands on its head. It's a way of kind of identifying with the animal. It then has to be killed. Its blood and some other bits of it are extracted and put on the altar. And the rest of it is taken away and burned. And God calls this a sin offering. The way it works is something like this. The priest, he deserves to die for his sin. But the bull takes his place. It is, he puts his hand on it and it's killed in his place. It bears the punishment that he deserves. And so now, with his sin dealt with, taken away, he can be in God's presence. So here's the first one, chapter 29 and verse 10. 29-10. Bring the bull to the front of the tent of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on its head. Slaughter it in the Lord's presence at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Take some of the bull's blood and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour out the rest of it at the base of the altar. Then take all the fat around the inner parts, the covering of the liver and both kidneys with the fat on them, and burn them on the altar. But burn the bull's flesh and its hide and its offal outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Okay, it's dead animal number one. Dead animal number two is a ram, a male sheep. Again, the priests lay their hands on its head 
way of identifying with the animal. And this animal, it's whacked up on the altar in front of everybody and killed and the whole of it is burned. It's totally offered over to God. The idea, again, the, 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 the bull is taking... This time it's a, um, a ram. The ram is taking the place of the priest. The priest ought to be completely offered up to God. Every aspect of his life should be God's. Of course, the priest can't live up to that, as no one else can. But God accepts the ram in his place. He, he's pleased with the offering of the total ram. So, verse 15. Take one of the rams, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on its head, slaughter it, Take the blood and sprinkle it against the altar on all sides. Cut the ram into pieces and wash the inner parts and the legs, putting them with the head and the other pieces. Then burn the entire ram on the altar. It's a burnt offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire. Okay, there's two dead animals. Third dead animal, uh, another ram. Again, the priests lay their hands on its head. They kill it. And this time they get plenty of blood on themselves. And they put some on the altar and they eat some of it. And this is called the, uh, the ram of ordination or consecration. Verse 19. Take the other ram, verse 19. And Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on its head, slaughter it, take some of its blood, put it on the lobes of the right ears of Aaron and his sons, on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet. We didn't do any of this. in my. Uh, um, then sprinkle blood against the altar on all sides and take some of the blood on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and their garments. Then he and his sons and their garments will be consecrated. Jump down to verse 31. Verse 31. Take the ram for the ordination and cook the meat in a sacred place. At the entrance of the tent of meeting, Aaron and his sons are to eat the meat of the ram and the bread that's in the basket. And then God says what this sacrifice does. He says it atones for them, puts them at one with God again, restores relationship with God, and it sets them apart to be his priests. You see that in verse 33. Verse 33. They're to eat these offerings by which atonement was made for their ordination and consecration. Okay, so three dead animals. One animal to stand in for the priest and bear his sin, so he's without sin. One to stand in for the priest and be wholly offered to God, as if he's offered his whole life to God, and one to set him apart for his job. And then, over the next six days, it takes seven days, this process, six more animals are sacrificed, also sin offerings to deal with the sin of the priest. That's verse 35. 35, do for Aaron and his sons everything I've commanded you, taking seven days to ordain them. Sacrifice a bull each day as a sin offering to make atonement. All right, that's the ordination ceremony. To get the priests ready for their job. And then in the last part of the chapter, we, uh, we see that God orders that the altar itself be purified so that the priests can then do their job of offering sacrifices on the altar. And each day a sacrifice must be offered uh, that's a big part of their job, offer sacrifices for Israel. And then, God says, then and only then, with the priests consecrated, with the altar consecrated, with sacrifices being made for Israel, then, God says, then I will come and dwell with Israel. Verse 42, verse 42. For the generations to come, this burnt offering, that's the daily one the priests are to make, is to be made regularly at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I'll meet with you and speak to you. There also I'll meet with the Israelites, and the place will be consecrated by my glory. So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites. Then, then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They'll know that I'm the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt, so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. 
All right, interesting passage, don't you reckon? Uh, let's, let's try to pull it together. It's all about priests. We've seen something of the role of the priests. What do they do, these, these guys? Well, they represent Israel before God in the tabernacle. And they bring God's decisions to Israel in the tabernacle. There's a go-between. And they also, as we see in the last part, they offer sacrifices for Israel so that God can come and dwell with them. We've also seen something of the requirements of priests. So that particularly in the ceremony, they had to be set apart for God. They had to, be, uh, had to have their sin taken away. And they had to be wholly offered to God, their whole lives offered to God. And then, and only then, with the priests properly set apart, the right priests properly set apart, offering the right sacrifices for Israel, God says, then, then they can be with me. Then I can dwell with them. Then they'll be in my presence. God demands that Israel have priests. He's, he's way too holy to have sinners just show up with their muddy feet in his tabernacle. Israel need priests. And not just any priests, they need the right priests, offering the right sacrifices exactly according to God's word. Without the priest... No access to God. Okay. Let's come all the way back then to the questions we started with. Do we need a priest? And if so, which priest? Let's take each question in turn. Question one, do we need a priest? Answer from the Bible, absolutely. Absolutely. God is still holy. We are dealing with the same God as the God here in Exodus, the God who is too holy to let anyone, any sinful person approach him. God is still holy. And we are still sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, the book of Revelation in the New Testament talks a little bit about, about God's heaven and about uh, his, his holy and eternal kingdom. And it says, I put this on your outline, I think. It says there on your outline, yes, down the bottom, left-hand side. Here's heaven. Okay, you reckon you're going to go to heaven? All right, here's what it says. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. Now, it doesn't take too much self-awareness for you and me to know that we sometimes do things that are shameful. Some things that we wouldn't want everyone to know. Things that we wouldn't do if we were up in front of the church. It doesn't take all that much self-awareness for you and me to know that we do things sometimes that are deceitful. Not always, the truth, the whole truth, and the nothing but the truth in our lives, is it? And so, there is no entry for us into God's kingdom. There is no entry for us. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. No entry. God is still holy. People like you and me are still sinful. And so there is no possibility of access to God, not without a priest. So question two, which priest? Which priest? Well, we need a priest, uh, like it says here in God's word. We need a priest who's been properly set apart, a sinless priest, a priest whose life is wholly offered to God, a priest who offers the right sacrifices for us. So which priest is that? Where's the priest who's without sin? whose life has been wholly offered to God, who's set apart for God, who can truly represent us before God. Where's the priest who's offered sacrifice for sin, uh, to, to take our sin away, to make us acceptable before God? Certainly can't be any ordinary human, can it? I hope you're not looking to me, because far from it. I hope you're not looking to any other bloke, no matter what sort of a dress he may dress himself up in either. 
I hope you're not looking to any witch doctor or any kind of Shinto or any other kind of priest. They are just as sinful as you. Their life is not wholly offered to God and they have no sacrifice to offer even for themselves, let alone for anyone else. The best thing that you can say of any of these pretend priests is that they don't get anywhere near to God because if they did, he'd kill them immediately. The fact is, there are no acceptable priests around despite what anyone might say. There's no Jewish priest available anymore and no tabernacle and no proper sacrifices. Uh, it's even more true of any other kind of priest, some pagan Gentile religion who, who reckon they can be a priest before the true God. Whatever claims they might make, whatever clothes they might like to dress up in, even if they have their own TV show, there is no priest who follows what God says here. No one who has what it takes to bring you and me before God. Except one. Except one. There is one man, isn't there? One man who satisfies the requirements that God makes here in Exodus. One man who was without sin. One man who, whose life was wholly offered to God. One man who was set apart by God. One man who can represent us. One man who's been at the Father's side and can reveal the true will of God to us. One man who's offered the one true sacrifice for sin there is one priest, isn't there? On your outline there from the book of Hebrews. Now on the top left-hand side. Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted not just into a tabernacle exalted above the heavens in resurrection unlike the other high priests he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day first for his own sins then for the sins of the people he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself for the law appoints as high priests men who are weak but the oath it's in psalm 110 which came after the law appointed the son who's been made perfect forever the point of what we're saying is this we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord, not by man. We need a priest. We need a priest. And there is one and only one priest who fits the bill. Jesus. So friends, the application of all this is very simple. You want to know how to apply all of that stuff about jewels and, and uh, breast pieces and ephods and linen undies? The application of it is very simple. Let's have Jesus for our priest. Let's ask him to represent us before God. Let's learn God's will as revealed to us through Jesus. Let's ask him to forgive us through his sacrifice. Let's come to God through Jesus alone. Same old message, isn't it? Rely on Jesus. But I don't know about you, but I reckon as you work through books of the Old Testament like this, suddenly as you fill in the background, our picture of who Jesus is and what he's done, it's, it's, it's enriched, it's brought into like 3D or something like that. I reckon this passage helps us to see so much more richly who Jesus is and what he's done. He's our priest, holy and pure, representing us before God, revealing God's will, offering the sacrifice we need. Uh, but you know, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. Because, come back to me now, because if you, if, you, if you miss this connection, you'll miss the rest of the talk. It's not much more. It doesn't end there. Because if Jesus is your priest, 
something amazing happens to you. Jesus is your priest, something amazing happens to you. If Jesus is your priest, then your sins are forgiven. If Jesus is your priest, then you've been set apart for God. If Jesus is your priest, then your life is counted as being wholly offered to God. If Jesus is your priest, you now have access to God through him. And so you now can represent people before the throne of God. You can bring people to God in prayer. In the direct presence of God through Jesus, you can bring people in prayer. And if Jesus is your priest, then you now know God's decision for people's lives. You know God's will for people. As you share the message about Jesus and call people to put their trust in him, you are actually revealing God's will and introducing people to the Lord of the universe. You getting the point? Let me spell it out. Let me spell it out. If Jesus is your priest, then you yourself become a sort of a priest. That's what the Bible says on your outline there. Talking to Christians, it says you are a royal priesthood that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. If Jesus is your priest, you become a priest and your job, declare the praises of God to bring people to the presence of God by praying for them and by doing what the Bible calls there on your outline, the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, a priestly duty because you're bringing people into the presence of God. Now again, I know, same old, same old stuff. Uh, another talk on praying and sharing the gospel. Another talk on prayer and evangelism. Well, I don't know. Have you ever thought about prayer and evangelism in quite that way before? For Christians, these are priestly duties. As you pray, you are... Don't put on the turban and everything. You don't need it, all right? But you are in the very presence of God representing people. As you share the message of Jesus... You are introducing people to God. You do these things and you are being a priest of God, standing between God and this world. When you think about it that way, it's a pretty big privilege, isn't it? Pretty big responsibility. Well, friends, let me conclude. We do need a priest. We do need a priest and in Jesus we have one. But more than that, through Jesus, we ourselves now have priestly qualities, forgiven, offered up to God, set apart for God, given access to God. And through Jesus, we now have priestly duties to bring people to God through prayer, to share the message about Jesus through the way we live and through the way we speak. So friends, let's get out and be priests. Let's rely on Jesus as our priest and let's serve him as priests. Let's Come before the throne of the God of the universe now through Jesus in prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, our gracious and holy and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your extraordinary mercy to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the one and only true and perfect priest who has offered his life in sacrifice for our sins and who now represents us at your right hand. We thank you that through Jesus we can come into your presence we pray, Heavenly Father, that we might make use of this wonderful access and this knowledge by being, by living as your priests, by bringing people to you in prayer and bringing you to people in, uh, in the sharing of the gospel. Help us to do this with thanks, with joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.